Good morning. My name is Amy, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, guys. I'm always so nervous. Um, thank you guys for letting me come down here and do this and, and just to be with you all this weekend. It's amazing. I, you know, I talk to my dad a lot, and uh, I think back to March 6th of 2010, and that's my sobriety date when my father... Uh, drove me to a treatment center in Louisville, Kentucky, and looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, go see if those women can help you. And I went in there, and I woke up this morning down here in Owensboro with my dad and my husband and, and coffee and friends, and I often look to the sky and I say, how did you do this? How did you do this? When did you do this? When did you take that pitiful, hopeless and helpless fallen woman and bring me here to have apple fritters with you this morning. How did he do that? I'm just constantly amazed, and those are the miracles. And I do want to read this because it's one of, you know, we have so many favorite parts of the big book and so many things that mean something to us all the time. But this one, um, you know, I've got it highlighted, underlined, starred, circled, you know, because every time I read it, it rings true. But on page 153 in A Vision for You, it says, It may seem incredible. That these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you, should you wish them above all else. And be willing to make use of our experience. We sure they will come. The age of miracles is still with us, and our own recovery proves that. And so I really like the theme of, of this conference because it is, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that, that I'm here today and God does these things in my life daily. Um, so I've told you my sobriety date, March 6th of 2010. My home group is Lampton and I'm particularly proud of my home group and I love it. Um, we meet on Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays at 1030 in the morning at the Ice House in Louisville, Kentucky and everyone is welcome. We are um, always inclusive and never exclusive, and it's one of the reasons I, I love my home group. Um, I have a sponsor, and she has a sponsor, and her sponsor has a sponsor, and I believe in sponsorship. Um, I, I never want to be sponsorless because then I'm running the show, and um, if that's happening, it's going to end poorly, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, my own life proves that. <laughs> so I like good sponsorship. I, I like good early direction. I like the leadership and our trusted servants that I'm able to follow and, and uh, get up underneath and just listen for those morsels of insight and knowledge to drop down um, because I have hungry ears. You know, I came here with a gift of desperation. And, uh, and that's my story. You know, when I got here... The preamble was my favorite part of the reading. Um, you know, that we're just a group that, that shares our experience, strength, and hope. There were no dues or fees. I was really glad about that. Um, there was no uh, affiliation. I knew you guys weren't trying to sneak in anything extra. You weren't affiliated with anybody. And that we had this one purpose to just get sober, and that was my purpose. And somebody would read the promises, and I would just not even listen because, see, I didn't deserve any of that. And I didn't think any of that would happen for me. I just wanted to stop drinking because at 37 years old, if I didn't have a drink by 4 o'clock, I got the shakes. You know, I knew the four horsemen. Terror, frustration, bewilderment, and despair. I knew them. Man, I knew them. I knew what it was to wake up and wish you were dead. I knew what it was to stand beside train tracks, watching the train go faster and faster and praying for the strength just to fall into it. And praying for the strength not to. You know, I got to the jumping off point. And I am a low-bottom drunk. You know, I ended up homeless, unemployable, uh, all those things. Like, if you pulled up to a street corner and I was there, you would probably lock your doors. Yeah, yeah, because I, um, I, I was a menace to society. I was dangerously antisocial. That's, that's where my alcoholism took me. Um, so... When I started getting sober, Dr. Brady used to come to this treatment center where I was at, and, and he would speak and read out of the big book and do things. And at the end of it, he would say, my wish for you is that you have been badly mangled. My hope for you is that you have been beaten into a state of reasonableness. 
And that's what had to happen for me. You know, I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous uh, as a member of myself in 95, and I was not badly mangled. I wasn't badly mangled. Things weren't going well. I, I knew things weren't right. The husband was leaving. The kids didn't like me. I couldn't really hold a job. You know, things weren't good. And I got to go to AA, and things got better. But see, the body heals, and the liar returns. And by two, three years of sobriety, I got to thinking, you know, I'm not like you all. Not really. You know, I was young, and things got out of control. And this time will be different, and here's how. You know, I love that line in the big book that says, we will touch a hot stove three or four times, and each time we reach out to put our hand on that burner, we will say to ourselves, this time I won't get burnt, and here's how. And that was my story. So my plan then, when I had been with you all, and things had been well, and things had gotten better, but I got to thinking, you know, I got to thinking. My husband at the time grew marijuana, and I figured God made marijuana, and I liked God. So probably the best thing for me was to go to the meetings with you all and then smoke a little weed. And that this would open me up like a Native American Indian to the spirit of the universe. That makes good sense, right? But the problem was I couldn't tell you all about my plan. You all are real close-minded. And somebody would say, that's not a good idea. And I didn't want to hear that. Because I thought I had figured out what none of you could figure out. Right? Because we are terminally unique, you know. And, uh, you know, when that happened, the world didn't open up and swallow me whole. It just didn't. Um, but slowly, things got worse. And eventually, I drank again. And now I'm not coming to see you. I'm not going to any more meetings. I've moved too far out. My husband doesn't like it when I leave. I've got this secret, so we don't really, I can't be honest with you, the principle behind step one. I've lost my honesty. Honest, my open-minded and willingness. I've lost my honesty. So I don't want to hang out with you all as much. But I appreciate the knowledge. I appreciate what you all have taught me. And now, with all this knowledge, I'm going to manage this disease. And that was my plan, man. And I, it was a good plan. I convinced my husband it was a great plan, and he agreed. Because he didn't like me going to all those meetings. You know, and he wanted to smoke weed with me. And, uh, and that's what we did. And, well, ultimately we got a divorce. Because I started drinking again, and I drank when I, you know, anything mind or mood altering for me blocks me from the sunlight of the spirit. And when I say that, I mean it blocks me from you. Because for me, you are the sunlight of the spirit. When I'm with you. When I first got sober, I was so jittery, and I was so sick, and I couldn't sit still. And my mind raced at 120 miles an hour. You say it was like semi-trucks on a highway, just shoom, shoom. And somebody would say, get your coffee and have a seat. We're going to have an AA meeting. And my whole body would go, Because for one hour, I was with you, and I was okay. So when I'm blocked from you, and I'm blocked for those moments of reprieve, and I'm blocked from that, I'm left with me, and it's an insane world in here. My husband and I divorced. We had four children at that time. And... uh and I was, um, I was headed to the gates of hell, and they were coming with me, the warped lives of blameless children. You know, I had a six, seven-year-old little girl, my youngest daughter, Grace, and my daughter, my older daughters, who stepped up and took care of the younger ones, you know, in my sickness and in my madness and in my absence. And my middle daughter told me one time, Mom, the only time I was ever really mad at you is when Grace would cry and say, why doesn't mom love us anymore? See, they don't understand the disease. They think it's because I don't love them. They don't know that I'm in the grips of something beyond my mental control. They don't know that I'm responding to an allergy. And I didn't know that either. 
until 2010 when I started getting back into recovery. And this time I did it with one half the zeal and, and that gift of desperation. And I got a diagnosis. You know, um, I got sober in the west end of Louisville because, and, uh, it's raw and uncut. It's raw and uncut. You know, they, they laugh and say, you know, when I got here, old timer said, sit down and shut up. In the West End of Louisville, they will absolutely tell you to sit down and shut up. <laughs> they still do that because you don't know and they're trying to save your life. And I appreciated that. And, and I came from the streets, so that's a language I understood. I, I, if you had been real nice to me, I, I'd have tried to borrow your car first. So, um, but, but they were nice to me. I don't want to say they weren't nice to me, but they didn't want to hear me whine. And it wasn't about the kids and it wasn't about the job and it wasn't about the man. It was about you have a disease that wants you dead. You have a disease that is centered in your mind. You have a mental obsession coupled with a physical allergy. And when you take a drink, the drink takes a drink and then the drink takes you. And they broke that down. They used the Joe and Charlie blackboard thing, and they, they took us through the steps, and they drilled that in our head, and it made sense to me. It made sense to me when I read the book, and it said we will miss important engagements or events. You know, my, my middle daughter had a baby, and they planned this beautiful baby shower, and it was going to be on Saturday. And, Mom, you're coming right now. I didn't plan it like a mother should. And I didn't buy a cake or blow up a balloon, but I was going to go. And that's all she wanted was me to show up. Mom, you're going to be there, right? Mom, you're going to be there, right? And it was on a Saturday, and I left home on a Wednesday, and they said, don't go. The baby shower is Saturday. Don't go. The baby shower is Saturday. I said, "I'm. it's Wednesday. I'll be back tonight. I'll be right back. I missed important engagements and events because once I start drinking, I cannot stop. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to end up. And that's what I brought to you. That's what I brought to you. Um, I'll go back a little bit. Um, my father, who's here today, he's 26 years sober in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You gave me my father back. And, uh, yeah. He didn't get sober till I was 18 years old, so I was always like, thanks, Dad. Good timing, you know, because I felt like I needed him before then, you know, and I was the kid that sat on the porch and waited for him to come, you know, and I was the kid that cried at night because I thought maybe he would die and nobody would be able to find me and tell me. That's a lot of fear for a nine-year-old. That's a lot of fear for a 10-year-old. And I hated my mom because my dad was out there, and I knew he wasn't doing good, and they would say he was homeless or that his mother wouldn't let him in, and I would worry about him. And she had this house, and she had all this food, and she had all this stuff, and why wouldn't she? Why would she turn her back on my daddy? And I didn't love her. I hated her. I was resentful because I didn't know. I didn't know what it did to a person to live with an alcoholic. I didn't know that in, an early, in my early age, my mother decided to spare us an alcoholic in the home because she had grown up with an alcoholic father, and she knew too well the terror of being raised in an alcoholic home, and she wasn't going to have that for me. I didn't understand her courage. I didn't understand her bravery. I did not understand that everything she did was for me. I didn't know that. We'd drive by places at night, bars, and she'd say, is your dad's motorcycle over there? And I'd peek up out of the back of that station wagon at Oldsmobile, and I'd look over, and I could read, and I'd read a sign, and it said, the kitten house. And I thought, why is she so mad? I like kittens. Maybe he'll bring a kitten home. I thought she was just mean. But she was tired, and that's what we do to the people who love us, you know. Um, I had to get sober to, to see my mother that way and to love her and uh, forgive her. Forgive her for something she, she that required no forgiveness. She did exactly what a mother does for their children, 
you know. Uh, but she did remarry. We had grown up, or we had been living out in PRP. I lived in a subdivision. I rode my big wheels with my neighbors and, you know, it was a cul-de-sac. And I went to the St. Polycarp, the local Catholic grade school, and I thought things were great. And she divorced him, and, and she remarried pretty quickly. And we moved to New Middletown, Indiana, where Wayne was talking about. And literally there's a sign that says population 85. And from the first time we arrived, I couldn't wait to get out of there man that one horse town and i'd yell at my mom i'd say why'd you bring me to this one horse town and there's nothing to do and there's not even sidewalks to ride you know your big wheel on or your bicycle and and i was different than those kids you know we talk about the differences we talk about feeling uncomfortable and and i always all my life i felt better than or less than these were my two gears i had no idea how to be one among many. But what a comfortable place when you can find it. Just to be one among many. I didn't know that till I was 40 years old. I was either here or I was there. Um, and there I was mixed. Uh, those kids, it was a country town and their dads uh, were tobacco farmers and they drove the school buses. You know, and their moms didn't work. They just stayed at home and they taught Girl Scouts and they uh, were there when the kids got off the bus and they came from large families. It was just country, you know. And uh, my mom and my stepdad, um, there were no step parents, you know, but mine were step, I had a stepdad and I only had one little sister, so we were a small family and both my parents worked outside of the home. My mom was a banker and, uh, and, so many things I should have been proud of her about embarrassed me. What just peculiar mental twist, Miss Pearl, a, a peculiar mental twist. My mom started as a teller when she was 18 years old, and by the time she was 36, she was the vice president of one of the largest mortgage lending firms in Kentucky. And I was mad because she wasn't home, and she worked too much, and she didn't bake cookies, and she missed some of my ball games. You know, my mom won a Channel 32 Bell Award for her uh, service in the community and the United Way and, and doing great things. And I was mad. Who does that? Do a peculiar mental twist, you know. Um, I, now I tell her honestly, if I ever become half the woman you are, I will have done something in my life. Um, because she's just naturally a giver and a, and a successful person. She just, she's driven that way. But I wanted her home. I wanted what I wanted when I wanted. And, and even though I loved all the nice things her career bought me, oh boy, did I love them. Did I love getting a car when I was 16? Did I love having the fancy clothes? Did I love going to the private schools and having a new dress for every dance? Boy, did I love it. But I was mad that she was gone. You know, just crazy. So when I talk about dysfunction in the home, I'm referring only to myself. I am the dysfunction in my home. Like everybody else seems to be okay. It's me. And from an early age, those were the conversations. What are we going to do with Amy? What about Amy? What is Amy doing now? How are we going to get Amy out of this? What has she gotten into now? The phone would ring and it would be concerned parents or concerned teachers or, you know, always something going on with Amy. And my response to all of that was never to look at me and make appropriate changes. My response to all that was, why are you worried about me? Just leave me alone. Why are you worried about me? Um, I started drinking at 13, 14 years old, and, and like Miss Pearl said, man, there, there it was, the magic. And I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I, um, I grew up around drinking. People drank. Uh, we're Catholic. People drank. I, they have spirit talks yesterday. Catholics drink. We, we do. Um, but they, uh, and it was fine. And nobody, you know, I mean, on Christmas, my uncle would, like, fall in the Christmas tree. And every year we'd have, like, the Butch passed out picture, then the album. But it was kind of a joke, and we all kind of expected it. It was no big deal, you know. So that was the drinking in my family. And uh, and I couldn't wait to do it. And, and as a child, we would take it, and we would sneak it out. And and it seemed okay. And when I drank, I, I was one among many. 
when I drank, I wasn't better than or less than. I was okay, and I just really wanted to be okay. And and um, I did that, and I, I was a fast girl. You know, I like boys, and I, you know, and I smoked cigarettes, and I drank. And if you had a good son, you didn't want him anywhere near me, because um, you know, hmm. yeah, I was a predator. <laughs> And uh, because I, I guess I needed that validation. So I ended up changing high schools a lot. I had gone to Presentation Academy for girls. And I always like to say, you know, these are the, some of the first lies I can remember telling uh, to, to, so that you would like me. And those girls at Presentation Academy for Girls said, we don't smoke and we don't drink and we don't kiss boys. And I said, well, neither do I. And that was a lie. I did all of those things, and eventually I started kissing their boyfriends, and they got mad. Women don't like that, and uh, and I had to leave that school because that's my response is to leave, is to get away from you, find somebody else to hang out with because the gig's up here. You found me out, you know, and, and, uh, and man, what a feeling that is. They're going to find out. They're going to find out about you. They're going to find out that you're nothing that you're a liar, that you're mean, that you're dishonest. Everybody, the gig's going to be up, and they're going to find out. And those were the kind of fears I woke up with every day, every day. Um, I ended up graduating high school. I think it was like the third or fourth one I was had stumbled into. My mom just kept me in school somehow, and I... I graduated and I had my first baby, Sarah, and I love Sarah. Sarah's 26 years old, or be 26 in March. She's a wonderful, beautiful, intelligent, remarkable woman, and I had very little to do with any of that. Um, God protects drunks and children, and he did mine. Um, I had my next daughter, Allie, a few years later, and now I'm a single mom, and I've got two kids, and I'm working at a bar because we should all work at a bar. And... Um, and my lifestyle hasn't changed because I've had kids. You know, people have kids, they settle down or they get older. Mine, mine doesn't. I just have kids, and this is my lifestyle. And I'm still slinging drinks at the bar, and I'm still staying out till 4 or 5 in the morning, and then I'm sleeping during the day, and I'm getting up, and I'm a daily drinker. I'm 20 years old, and I'm a daily drinker. I drink every day at 20 years old, and I didn't think anything was wrong with it. You know, the book talks about the alcoholic life becomes the only normal one, and it was fine with me. And the, my mom had a big part in taking care of my kids then. My dad had just gotten sober then, and he would come by and bring food and bring presents for them at Christmas because my money went somewhere else. You know, just to tell you a little bit about my level of gratitude, and I always get, you know, AA kind of scared me. I would hear things like humble and grateful, stay sober, and uh, I didn't have gratitude. Like, I'll just give you an example. Back then, food stamps were paper, and you had to go stand in line for them. And it wasn't no, like a discreet little card that just showed up, you know, every month your money. They were monopoly money. You went down by the letter of your last name and you stood in the food stamp line. And instead of saying, what an awesome country, you know, that they're going to help me who, and because I can't feed my own children with the money I make. There was no level of gratitude. I would stand in that line and I would say things very loudly. Who's running this place? What's taking so long? Well, this is just BS. You know, and the social workers, the look on their faces when they saw me coming. Like, oh, Jesus, it's her again. And so one of them pulled me in the back and said, you seem like a smart girl. And uh, we have this program, and you can go to school, and then you never have to be in our line again. And I said, okay, and I went to nursing school, and I drank on my lunch. You know, there was a bar across the street from school, and the other people would be studying or, or quizzing each other for the exams or whatever, and I would walk across the street to a little bar called Cupies down there on Chestnut, and I would tell them they have a good hamburger in there, and that's why I was going over there for lunch, but I would sit at that bar and I'd drink three or four beers, and then I'd stop in the parking lot and smoke a left-handed cigarette, and then I'd show up for the rest of the day. I'm 22 years old. I'm drinking during the day. I'm not just drinking at night. I'm not drinking when I'm off. I'm drinking regardless of what I'm doing, like going to school. You know, I'm, I'm drinking. 
I have no idea that I am in the grips of alcoholism. I still think nothing's wrong with everything that I'm doing. Um, it, I, I, my daughter, Allie, her dad left, and I married his baby brother. Let it sink in. I'm real good at hurting people, right? Thank God that this man is a good man. And, uh, and he loved me and he loved, uh, our children. And he tried to hold us together as long as he could, the best he could. But he had a nut on his hand. You know, I remember at our wedding as Led Zeppelin played through the chapel. Yes, it was a lovely ceremony. I looked at him from underneath the veil and I said, I need a drink. And he said, I know, but nobody knew. There was no way either one of us could know how true that was. So I drank and I drank and I drank and uh, we bought a home. We had a three-bedroom ranch. I'm a nurse. He's an electrician. We have these two beautiful children. On the outside, everything looks really great. I'm only 24 years old, and I own my own home, and I've got to, you know, things look good, except on the inside. On the inside, there's broken plates, and there's screaming, and there's children that hide in closets when mom and dad start. It's the best I could do. When I was uh, 25, he said, I'm leaving you. I'm taking these kids. I can't live this way anymore. You're insane. And... um you know, I went to AA, and, that, and that's what I told you. I came to AA, and things got better. Man, I loved it. The laughter. You know, I hadn't laughed in so long, and you all didn't fight, and and you and I wasn't in trouble here. You know, if, if you're drunk like me, you find that everywhere you go, you're in trouble. Somebody's always looking at you funny or shaking their finger. You walk in the kitchen, they all stop talking. You know, this had been happening to me since I was about 14. So when I got here and you all weren't mad at me, I was real excited. I found some new friends who who didn't, and I could tell you the worst things I did, and you still didn't back away. You usually answered with a me too, you know. So I loved Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't work any steps. I didn't read the book. And eventually, I quit coming. And, and I told you about that, the weed and stuff. And then eventually, um, in, in sobriety, though, I did have two children. I had We had uh, my son, Zachariah, and my daughter, Grace. And uh, I'm at 28. I'm, I'm heading back into the grips of alcoholism. And these kids are coming and all of this. We bought a second home and... And all of these things were just going to be ripped away. Um, it, it, it went quick for me after that. It went quick for me after that. I got a divorce when I was about 34. And like I told you, by 37, I had tremors, you know. And I would think about uh, what I'd heard at that ice house. You know, I'd think about the things that Jim Hoard and, and Doug Schmidt and Joe Voles had said to me. And those are just a few of the old timers that have passed on in Louisville. But God always gave me his best. I look back now and I think he has always given me his best. You know, Tim, Miss Pearl, my dad, Beth. I've been surrounded by his trusted servants so many times. You know, and it was in things like that and seeing the goodness in you that I would say, God, are you sure you mean for them to talk to me? And then I started to believe that he loved me too, that, that I was important because that's not how I felt. Um, I ended up homeless. Like I said, I quit nursing. I became a prostitute. It doesn't pay as well, but uh, the hours are good. Uh, so I was doing that. A lot going on, you know, my business. Stay out of my business. <laughs> I love it when people say that. It just cracks me up. Uh, so my business was hustling you for money so that I could drink. And I did that every day, every day. Um, like I said, uh, somewhere between that three-bedroom ranch, you know, when I was 24, and the homelessness that I faced at 34, I lost everything inside of me. 
everything good, everything full of hope, all of that. When I walked away from those kids and that husband, I had walked away from everything important. And I always like to say there is nothing more dangerous than someone who has nothing left to lose. And that's where I was. I carried guns. I was uh, violent. I harmed people. You know, I'm trying to tell you in a general way, but you, I was not someone you wanted to meet. And if our paths crossed, you'd remember it. And, uh, you'd re, you know, and I, I just was evil. I was just evil. I was out for me. Selfishness, self-centered, self-seeking, uh, inconsiderate became my whole person. I lived to drink. And if you got between me and that drink, you know, I was going through you. I hated me. So certainly I hated you. If you drove by and you had on a pretty scarf or nice shoes, I hated you. If you had a car and I was walking in the rain, I hated you. If I saw you and you had your children with you, I despised you. Because my life no longer looked like anything like that. Anything like that. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And uh, in 07, my sister took me to the women's healing place. It's amazing to me that I can tell you all of those things, but an alcoholic's ego will remain intact. So she took me to this homeless shelter for really bad off people, Ellie. Not like me. These people were really bad off. And uh, I was like, geez. You know, and they said, you can't have a phone and you can't have a car and you can't have a job while you stay here. And I was like, ho, ho, ho. And I didn't have a car and I didn't have a phone and I didn't have a job. But my disease has this little trick and it's called come Monday. Man, come Monday, you're going to get it together. Come Monday, you're going to get a job, and in a few weeks you'll get a check, and you're going to buy a car, and you're going to call those kids, and you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you can turn this around, and you can fix this, and, and my mind and me would say, yes, we're going to, we're going to focus, and we're going to be determined, and, and we're going to, we're going to drink tonight because we should celebrate the plan, but come Monday, it's over and we're going to we're going to fix this and I, and i lived in that delusion that i single-handedly could defeat alcoholism year after year after year waiting on monday waiting on monday so that was in 07 i went back out because i was going to fix this if I only tried hard enough, if I only found the right job, if i could just find a place to take a shower We're going to come Monday. We're going to rise like a phoenix from the ashes and prove them all wrong, you know. But I would start drinking, and I'd tell you about my plan, and you'd want to drink with me because it was a great plan. And a few weeks later, we'd find that piece of paper where we wrote our plans about Monday, and we'd start scratching through it. And say, now we got a better plan. We're going to this Monday. Yeah, we'll get up right on that. And, and that was my life because my disease likes to tell me that I can do something. Because when we are involved, it doesn't stand a chance. But if it thinks I'm by myself, it, it will devour me. Uh, in 09, I went back to the women's healing place. And, you know, I thought, yeah, you know, this program's for really, really bad off people. All right. What I'm going to do is I, I'm going to go to one of those halfway houses. And, and last time I came to AA, I just went to meetings and everything was fine. And I was able to quit drinking. I just need to go back to meetings. But I was so far in the grips of this progressive and fatal disease. What worked when I was 25 was not working when I was 38. See, it had progressed, and I was further into the grips, and I, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't not drink between the meetings. I always think that's funny because, you know, they'll say, don't drink between the meetings. And I think, hmm, what an order. <laughs> I can't go through with it. <laughs> don't drink anything. What if I just have one drink between the meetings, you know? Uh, and I understand that struggle. And, and, you know, it seems so simple. But when you are in the grips 
of something that is is deciding everything for you. That's it. Uh, that's not easy. It, it's simple, but it's not easy. And so what happened for me was I ended up going to the women's healing place March 6th of 2010. My dad dropped me off, and he said, go see if those women can help you. And I needed to detox. I needed to be separated from society and protected from myself. And I lived there for a year. This was no easy fix for me. You know, I didn't do a 30-day. I didn't do a 3-day. I didn't do a 7-day. I was there a year, an entire year. And it was difficult. Um, and But I stayed. See, I had this gift of desperation. And I would laugh because the women would be like, you know, they'd say, you've got to mop the floor or you got to get up early and prepare breakfast for your sisters or something. And I would just be a mopping and a singing, and they just say, and they'd say, I don't want to mop the floor. And I'm like, apparently what I did for a drink and what you did for a drink are different things. Because I'm happy to mop a floor. <laughs> You're going to give me my whole life back. And you want me to mop this floor? Because I did some things out there. And I got nothing back. So I was happy to mop the floor. I was happy to feed my sisters. I was happy to get up early, feet on the floor. You know, they taught me how to go to bed and how to get up. I didn't know sober people did that. I got a toothbrush. I got a toothbrush. I had a place to lay my head and it was mine. And I didn't have to share it with you. And you weren't going to ask me to leave. And the sheets were clean. He gave me a big book. I got a sponsor and she said things like, when's the last time you talked to your family? When's the last time you talked to your kids? Because my kids don't talk to me. She said, I want you to write them a letter. It's not a fist step. Please do not do that in the letter. I just want you to say, I'm thinking about you. And I hope your day at school was good and you're important to me. And I want you to mail it. I want you to mail it at the same day each week, on the same day each week. So those children will learn to expect a letter from you that same time. And don't stop doing it and don't miss a day. And if you need a stamp, you ask for one. Do not disappoint those kids again. And I did that and I did that and I did that. And I'll never forget, I was about four and a half months sober and I was sitting in that big room and they did mail call and they called my name. Two of my children had written me back and I didn't even open them, I just looked at them. Those are miracles. Those are things that happen in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. See, I didn't do that. I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. That was grace and mercy. That was the love of a child for her parent in spite of. And I was overwhelmed. And I had this taste for this thing. And I wanted more. And, and I wasn't shaking. And I wasn't craving the drink anymore. And, but, and, but I was still insane. Right, real insane. And they have this community and these people sit around and they tell you what you need to change about you because they're going to love you to life. And I'm from the streets. And I don't take criticism well. And you don't know me. You know? And I'm 40, 38, 39 years old. And there's some 21-year-old kid. And she's saying, Amy's a bully. I have a concern that she was intimidating me in the kitchen. I don't know, you think I intimidate you. Why don't we get out of this freaking circle, lady? You know? And they would give me these contracts to help me work on me, you know? And mine always said, hurry up and slow down. And who's in control? You know, and what are you scared of? I didn't like that one. What are you scared of? See, I was tough. And I carried those guns, and I'd whoop you, and I'd start a fire in your house, and I'd bust the windows, and I'd talk about your mother, and I didn't care. And I'd have told you that I wasn't scared of anything, but all that was was fear, and I didn't know that. I didn't know that that's what fear looked like. And they broke that stuff down for me, and I got a sponsor, and she didn't take me out for ice cream. Not one time. Not once. I was a little upset. She didn't pick me up for meetings, but she would meet me at them. And I'd say, you know, some of the... Girls have sponsors, and they, they went out for ice cream. Got a, got a ride to the meeting. 
She said, I never took you to the liquor store, but you always managed to get there. And she made it real clear to me that my recovery was my responsibility. And it had very little to do with her. She would take me through those steps. She was my guide. She gave me direction. But we were not friends. I was a little bit afraid of her. And I wasn't afraid of many people. And uh, she'd come in a meeting. And if I was sitting in the back, she'd walk past me and tap me on my shoulder and walk up to the front and never say a word. And what that meant was follow me to the front of this meeting. Because that's where you need to be, you know. And I loved her, and she did things for me and, and, and helped me that way. And I completed that program. And uh, I do want to talk just briefly about the steps, because I think this is important for me when we talk about miracles. Um, step one, something was wrong. I heard a speaker in Nashville say, I always knew something was wrong with me because people always said, something's wrong with you. And I could relate to her. I thought, that's happened to me. I've heard that, like since I was seven, you know. Uh, so I knew something was wrong. And, you know, it's a big clue when you're living in a homeless shelter that maybe your life's unmanageable. That somewhere between career day and kindergarten and now, something went bad wrong. And uh, so the step one was not a problem. And step two for me was you all. See, you were the power greater than myself. I believed in Alcoholics Anonymous. I believed in the people and the fellowship. I saw the magic. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks, Miss Pearl. <laughs> I saw the magic, and I knew that you could restore me to sanity. That if I did what you said, if I did what this book said, that maybe, just maybe, I would get what you all had. So for me, step two, getting, you know, restored to sanity meant that I was going to follow the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that healing place I was in, I thought, women who complete this, they got a good shot, you know. And if I complete it, maybe I'll have a good shot and I'll develop this foundation. And then I did that step three prayer and that was fine. And then uh, I moved into step four and people, oh, step four, that was not, I knew what a piece of shit I was. I woke up with it every day. I woke up with it every day. I knew my part in things. Hell, it was all my fault. A long time, when I was young and when I was first drinking, it was you. Every problem I had was you. Them, those, and days. It was that situation, that school, that job, those people, that husband, those kids, my mom. I could, for a thousand days, I could tell you about all the people and whose fault it was. But at the end of my drinking, at the end of my drinking, there was no one there but me. And so I had no problem putting down selfish, self-centered, dishonest, self-seeking, inconsiderate. My heart's list had 144 people on it. My sponsor said, you are not that GD important. <laughs> I felt like I had harmed everyone. You know, everybody. The, you know, my second cousin's third child. I missed the birthday party and, and I should have been there. She's like, did the child have a birthday party? So you think you harm people by denying them your presence? Well, yes. <laughs> So ego all over the place. We cut that harms list down quite a bit after that. Um, and then one thing I did learn in my fifth step, I told you about my middle daughter and how the man I married was her uncle, and she had an uncle daddy. And then we had two more children, and it was her brother cousin and sister cousin. And the kids are real happy about that. Um, and it, it just is it's lovely, the things I've done. So, But here's one thing I couldn't figure out. On the first line of my resentment page was my mother-in-law. Boy, she treated me bad. She was never nice to me. And she was cold and judgmental. And she caused problems in my marriage. And she was evil. And she was on there eight, the whole first page. Mother-in-law, mother-in-law, mother-in-law. And I was telling my sponsor about all the evil and horrible and the beautiful grandchildren I'd given her. And still, she treated me this way. And my sponsor pushed that paper back over at me and she said, You honestly don't know why this woman may not have liked you. I said, Oh. 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 Okay. Yeah. 
That's how delusional I was, man. That's how delusional I was. God love her. She died before I was able to make amends to her. But I hope that she sees the way I love her grandchildren. I hope she sees who I am and the way I treat her son today, you know, my ex-husband. So, yeah, so I learned some things in my fourth step. But it wasn't a big deal. You know, they talked about the fifth step promises and floating on the cloud and all that. I just kind of came home was like, well, now she knows I'm a piece of shit, too. Now two people know, you know. But what happened was for me that four and five set me up for six and seven. It's only this big. But, man, it changed my life. That's where my miracle happened. For the first time, I saw who I was without God. It wasn't that I didn't know all that about me. But after my fifth step and as I prepared for my sixth, I understood without a doubt my deep need for him. All of a sudden, I needed him. All of a sudden, to rise up from such misery, to be something different, to try to make any of this right, I knew it was going to take a higher power. Not just you guys, a higher personal power. And I went into my bathroom at the treatment center, and I got on my knees. Well, actually, what had happened before that, I had yelled at a girl in the kitchen, and she had said, Amy's so mean. They whine. And... uh and I looked at my friend and I said, I don't deserve to be among human beings. Even when I don't mean to, I harm people. I should go live in a cave so that no one is a subject to to me because I'm just awful. And my friend was like, well, you're a little awful, but, you know, some people can tolerate you. And and I just, I didn't want to be that person anymore. For the first time, man, that's not what I wanted. And so I went in that bathroom, and I got on my knees, and I started saying that seventh step prayer. And something started happening, and it's hard to explain a, a spiritual experience to anyone. But he met me there. He met me there in that bathroom, and I wept, and I cried, and I rolled around on the floor. And a different person walked out than had walked in. Do I still yell at people? I got in an argument at work the other day, and my boss called me in afterwards and said, Amy, did you say da-da-da-da-da to that woman? And my only response was, God, I hope not. <laughs> See what the witnesses say. <laughs> so I'm not perfect, but I'm better. And I started getting real busy, and 8 and 9 was beautiful, and I love staying in 10, 11, and 12. And I have a... A wonderful sponsor that helps me with with 10 and 11, and I have so many opportunities for 12. My life today is so different. Last night while I was sitting here, my girls are calling. I love my girls. I love the women I sponsor. My God, that is something you must not miss. That is, I mean, I, man, if I had missed sponsorship, I don't, first of all, I don't know that I'd still be sober if I wasn't helping other women. But they call me, you know, and, and we talk, and, and I've got my girls, I've got one last night was speaking at a sponsorship panel, and, and she's sharing with me the, the spiritual charge and the joy she just got from it. I'm like, yes. And I've got one that just had spinal surgery, and the doctors told her she can't move for two days, and where she is in her sobriety, they've asked her to do the impossible. <laughs> and she's crying, and I'm like, Boy, they, they picked the right one for be still for two days, you know. But, but I get to help her through that. And, 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 and I've got one, some that are trying to get their kids back. And I've got some that are going through uh, relationships and breakup things. And, 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 you know, and, and it's amazing. And it's not that I know any answers. It's not that I have any great revelations to tell these women. I tell them what you told me. And it works. And then when I, you knew it would work when you told me. And then you see it work and you're like, yes, it still works. And then I'm like, well, what the people told me was, and I throw it at them. And then I watch it work and I'm like, yes, you know, this thing works. These miracles happen every day if you work them, you know, and I'm just, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I get to do amazing things like this. I got to go to Buffalo. I have amazing friends. I have a fellowship around me that is tremendous. My kids, let me tell you about my kids. They didn't care what I said. I was full of shit. They cared what I did. 
And so they're watching me because I didn't come home to three-year-olds. They were like, Mommy's home. I came home to teenagers. And they were like, so? They were not impressed with my alumni status at the healing place like I thought they would be. The, the, the healing place even gave me a plaque. Still, the kids were not impressed. Uh, so um, when they come to my house and there's a sign on that middle room that says fist step, they smile. They text me and say, we love you, Mom. When girls are coming in and out of my house to do inventories and go to meetings and hang out, my kids get involved. They say, are you one of my mom's girls? Are you one of the women my mom helps? And they start building relationships with these women. And they hug me and they say, we love you, Mom. My little girl, Grace, whose relationship was so particularly difficult because she was young and she was entering adolescence as I entered sobriety and we kind of grew up through that emotional period together. A few Sundays ago, she loaded up her little Saturn ion and she moved to Portland, Oregon, way far away. And I miss her. And I told her, I said, Sissy, I regret every time I wasn't there when you got home from school. And I regret every hug I didn't give you. And I regret every time you thought I I wasn't there. And I've only had this short time with you, you know, since I've been sober, us rebuilding our relationship. And I'm not done. And I want you to stay because I'm not done. And she said, Mom, you've been sober like forever. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's not really been six years yet. but, But that's a child's mind. See... 12 to 18 is a lifetime for a kid, you know. So she feels like I've been there, like, forever. And uh, and I was able to let her go, and I was able to say, look at this adventurous, beautiful, strong gypsy I've raised. Well, how wonderful, the things she'll see and the things she'll do. And I know the same God that loves me loves her, and he'll take care of her. You know, and, and my older daughters, we're just, we laugh, we talk, we hang out. I will tell you about my 20-year-old son who smokes weed and lives in my house. Um, I'm hugging Sissy by, and he comes over and hugs us both, and he says, Don't worry, Mom, I'll never leave. <laughs> I said, I'm not worried about that, son. <laughs> But it's good. It's a good, good life. It's a good, good life. And and I'm so happy to be a part of it. I'm so happy. You're looking at a girl that for four years didn't leave a six-block radius. A little part of town called Victory Park. Know where you want to visit. If you don't belong there, you shouldn't be there. And I was there for four years on those streets, and I couldn't leave there. I couldn't get to baby showers or graduations or first-date driver's license or PTA meetings. I could not participate in life because I couldn't leave that area. It's where I wandered the streets. It's where I peed in alleys. It's where I drank. It's where I shook. It's where I prostituted myself. So somebody calls and says, you want to go to Owensboro? I'm like, in the car? <laughs> Come on! We get to go somewhere. They're gonna have donuts, you know. So, so what a, what a wonderful thing for a wretch like me to be with you. And, and it's possible for any of us. And I guess I'm done. I'm Amy. I'm an alcoholic.